Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This is the show where we try to remove some of those barriers holding back established residential investors from moving into the commercial property market. These days, commercial property is often spoken about in terms of converting it to residential use, which I totally understand. Commercial to resi for short, and in some circumstances, it is the most profitable thing to do. However, that's not the case every single time. My goal for getting into commercial property investing was to build up a portfolio of cash flowing assets. So let me ask you, what is your reason for getting into commercial property? Sometimes I wonder if people have missed that piece of the jigsaw and are now chasing the next shiny object without realising that course of action changes you from being an investor for cash flow into an outright developer. Flipping properties and constantly looking for the next deal to keep the machine moving and all the time hitting crystallisation points for tax doesn't always help. Did you get into property to be a developer or did you get into property for cash flow as close to passive as you could get it? If so, then commercial property is a really high cash flowing strategy with lots of value add opportunities and if you do it right, you can hold on to it. You see, with commercial you can start small. But over time, with careful, strategic thinking, you can grow your portfolio to become really large. But you need to hold on to assets in order to actually build that momentum. So a lot of my content is focused around finding, developing, holding and operating commercial real estate, not necessarily about selling it. And today's topic is based around our friends in the commercial agent world. I've been asked about dealing with commercial agents on a few occasions recently, particularly in terms of acquisitions. They've been a bit surprised at the responses some of them have received when trying to engage with agents, or even the lack of those responses in some instances. You see, agents can help us with buying, letting and selling commercial spaces. And back in episode 25, I spoke about how to access deals through commercial agents, and today I want to build on what we covered in that episode. And as I worked through my preparation for recording this particular episode, I realised that I was trying to cover too much. So I'm going to separate out content into two shorter shows. Today is going to include more tips, and I guess some of my experiences of buying through agents. And the other quite large area that commercial agents can help with is the actual letting of your space, depending on what type of offer you're making. And I'm going to discuss that on a future episode, which I'll be releasing soon. So as usual, it's important to point out, this is all based on my experiences, of course, and yours could be quite different. My involvement with commercial agents has been, let's say, hit or miss over the years. Some instances, I've found individuals to be really helpful, upfront and supportive. 
but on the other hand I've come across many who won't even return my calls or seem as though they're just not interested. Interested in me, interested in selling a property, not interested in anything. But I have learned, it's like a lot of things in life. You have to set your objectives, be pragmatic and not emotional about how people react or treat you and just keep going. You need to ask yourself, will doing this thing or responding in this way get me any closer to my goal? If not, then don't do it and reassess. Sometimes you have to play to people's egos in order to get to your overall goals. So you just need to treat it as a game of strategy. And all these characters have their roles, which might be to help you, hinder you, or completely and utterly ignore you. You see, it doesn't matter to them which camp they fall into. So don't let it matter to you. Just continue on and learn how the game works. Here's a quick recap of the things I covered last time. So the market is clear as mud, right? Some of you might have noticed that. It's nowhere near as transparent as the residential market. But that does bring opportunity to us, as deals can be hidden more easily and there are a lot less players. There's less competition. And investors in this market don't tend to share experiences, so there's less that you can readily pick up and learn from. It's difficult to see what is for sale or what's sold, or even if an agent actually wants to sell anything, you might see a sign and then finally you manage to speak to somebody and they actually tell you, oh, it was sold three years ago, that sort of thing. And agents, as I say, sometimes don't seem to want to return your calls and you'd be forgiven for thinking that nobody actually wants to sell anything sometimes. But remember, there are three levels of deal flow through agents, okay? The first one, and we covered these in that episode, episode 25, the first one is the completely off-market deals. This is ones that agents deal with. And it's where an agent will find a buyer from his immediate investor-client circle, if you will. So these are deals that then they might just put out to their very short, small network of close buddies. Here's a deal, and they have a look at it. That's the off-market deal. The second one is the undermarket deal, and these are circulated out to other agent buddies who then circulate those out to their little network of investor clients. So they're not completely off market, but I tend to call those the kind of under the market. And then the third one is when properties in that circle don't sell, then they may go on to the open market. And that's when maybe some of the amateur investors see them through property portals and things. Oh, there's a, there's a commercial property on the market. What they don't realise is it's maybe been shown to those different networks already. It doesn't always go this way, of course, but it's good to understand how a big chunk of the commercial deals that private investors like you and I might be interested in actually come to the market. We also spoke about being focused with our investment criteria, really making sure we understand what we want, picking a specific area, getting out and actually looking at deals and the power of follow-up. And if you haven't listened to that episode, then I encourage you to do so. Today, I want to cover off a few other aspects of the relationship with commercial agents and their world. So, let's get stuck in. And let's get something straight right away. Put yourself in the shoes of a middle-aged or maturing commercial agent, let's be kind, who's been working in a specific market for well over 10 years. If the market's been stable and good for them, or for you as the agent, you'll have built up a network of sellers and a network of buyers. Basically the movers and the shakers in your commercial market world, or at least, you know, your little piece of the world. So when one of your buddies calls you up and says he or she has a building they want to sell at the best price possible, that opportunity will be passed around your network 
and if it doesn't sell quickly, then it'll go out onto the open market. When one of your buddies, you being the agent, calls you up and says, I want to sell something off market, who are you as the agent going to talk to? You're going to talk to your close network, of course. Not the person who sent you an email last Friday saying they were looking for a great investment opportunity or something else suitably vague. They're going to send it to their network. So what's happened is the agent has just got comfortable with the world they've built around themselves because they've been doing it for a while and sometimes they feel that quite frankly they don't need you. And that is why sometimes it seems they're not interested in following up with your call or your inquiry. I know it's not right, but don't take it personally. Just understand that is how some of them operate. Not all of them, of course. But you just have to realise that some of them have built up this network that they filter all their sales through and their buying and they make a good living from it. And why upset it? Why bring in new people when the network they have provides everything they need? Another aspect to be aware of is that some agents will deal with all aspects, including sales, acquisitions and lettings, but others will specialise in specific areas with just a few clients on retainer. I'm going to go into that a little bit in a second. But that means that some of those agents won't be interested in necessarily selling you a property or even acquiring properties. They're just involved in lettings. And it could be the other way around. It might be all they're doing is selling properties or they might be just acquiring properties for specific clients who've put them on retainer. So those guys are not necessarily going to be interested in what you're talking about if it's not in that silo. Now let's get back to you and me though. Remember, you need to start with what is your goal here? What are you trying to achieve? If you keep that front and centre, then your emotions shouldn't get the better of you and you'll be able to decide what is an opportunity or a distraction much quicker. Dealing with agents will simply be part of that overall picture, not this great big wall that you're trying to work out how to get around. Another thing to think about is how do we actually talk to these guys? Well, you need to always be polite and respective of their time, but don't ever not look at deals or call them because you don't want to upset them because you think they're the gatekeeper, the hegen, the big one up the top there that you don't want to disturb. You need to speak to these people and you need to go out and try and build relationships with them. And some of them are going to play ball and some of them are not. And that's just the way it is. Always be polite and respectful of their time, but don't be afraid to pick up the phone or send them emails and try and build that relationship. It's a balance, isn't it? Another question you have to ask yourself is, who is the agent actually working for? So if they're selling a property on behalf of a retained client, then they might be all nicey-nicey to you. But at the end of the day, their fee comes from the seller. I know that's a simple thing, but some people forget that. The agent is acting on behalf of the seller. So the deal that you're going to get done is going to be in the best interests of the seller, not yours. And this leads me on to the, the retainer thing I mentioned earlier. You can put the shoe on the other foot and pay an agent to find you a property if you want. This will mean that they might bring you those off-market deals, or at least the under-the-market deals. It will shortcut your efforts that you have to make to get to that level of deal flow. It's just going to cost you some money. Now, agents will charge you lots in lots of different ways. <laughs> they will charge you lots sometimes, but they'll they can charge you in different ways. And, you know, in terms of a retainer fee or a commission. And your job is to negotiate that fee in the fairest and most reasonable way you can. 
to make sure it still serves to motivate the agent so they will bring you bona fide deals, but equally it doesn't cost you the earth. The best way, of course, is to have a motivated agent who only charges when you've actually settled on a deal. But the challenge for them is they'll have to put all the work in up front, and in order to do that, they have to feel you're actually going to do a deal if they find it. Because there's no much point in them spending all that time and effort if actually you're just going to kick tyres forever. And that's the tricky bit, when you don't have a track record. So you'll have to get the balance right here. You might have to pay a fee or some part retainer, but just keep very close eye on what they're actually doing. And the fee might typically be, let me ask you a question. Have you heard of SAS pensions? They're a fantastic tool for business owners to wrap a commercial property up in a tax-free bubble. SAS can work particularly well with the CMO strategy to generate money both inside and outside of your pension. It goes without saying, I'm not a SAS expert, but let me introduce you to someone that is. Bryn Walker has been advising on SAS pensions for many years and has been a long-term supporter of the CPI network. SAS and commercial property work incredibly well together, but there are many nuances and Bryn will make sure you don't stray from the right path. Look in the show notes for the partner link and book up a SaaS discovery call with Bryn. One or two percent of the value of the, the deal at the end of the day. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Incentivizing your agent in more creative ways can be an effective way though to sharpen up the input. So some purchasers give them a higher percentage than the one I just mentioned towards the acquisition fee to tr- really try and get them motivated in finding properties. So they might be one and a half or two and a half percent. But that does not incentivize a good price. There's a difference, isn't there? It just incentivizes the deal flow. See, the other way that I've used effectively is incentivizing them to get below a certain price. And this can be done most effectively when you have actually identified a property or they've identified a property. So, for example, in the early days, when I wasn't sure that I could negotiate prices as well as I should, lack of confidence, I guess, what I did was I agreed a fee with an experienced agent for them to act on my behalf. But what I did was I gave an additional £1,000 fee, or I suggested I would give to them, an additional £1,000 fee for every £10,000 they go off the overall price that I'd agreed. So let me just go through that again. Basically, I'd come to a reasonable price or the price I thought I could negotiate to on a particular purchase. Then I engaged this agent to then do the finer parts of the detail on the deal and I incentivized them to try and get the price down. And what they did was they managed to get the price down by another 30 grand, which basically meant we gladly gave them a £3,000 fee in addition to the original fee for getting the price down. No skin off my nose. Nowadays, I'd probably do all the negotiating myself, but in the early days, it definitely helped. Now, on the upside, a good agent with a clear mandate is worth the weight in gold, by the way. They'll help you find and negotiate deals, all the way up to the stage where you'll have some heads of terms agreed between your side and the other side, and those heads of terms are not legally binding. All they are is the terms of the agreement as far as you've got so far. And that's when they'll hand it over to your legal team. But a good agent won't just leave you there. They'll continue to negotiate on some points which inevitably come up as you go through the process. So you might have done the offer subject to survey or might be subject to an engineer's valuation or or survey on equipment. There may be something that you can negotiate on in the future. 
You see, if you present yourself as credible and a long-term investor, they will know in the back of their mind that you will buy future deals too. So hopefully, they will see you as a potential long-term client they can add to that inner network. So don't cut them out of discussions if you're dealing direct with the seller. You never know when the agent might need to act as a broker for some of the trickier negotiations. It can be really tempting for some investors, and I've seen it where they just want to get to the seller, they just want to get to the seller, and they start negotiating direct with the seller. And they don't necessarily cut the agent out. They don't want to, they're not necessarily thinking I'm not going to pay the agent a fee, but they cut them out of the discussion and the communication. And that's just not good. You need to keep the agent at least informed of what's going on. An example, at one point, a property we bought, we negotiated about 70% of our negotiations through the agent. Some of those discussions direct with the seller, but we were always liaised with the agent afterwards. And unfortunately, we didn't actually manage to get that deal done with the seller, and it was sold to another party. They kind of do property arbitrage. In other words, they, they buy cash, and then they try to flip them on really quickly. So when the dust had settled on this, and they couldn't flip it straight away, the agent came back to myself and started discussing about the deal again. But they knew exactly where we were because we'd already gone through all the negotiations before. They knew exactly what price point we were at. And there was no need to start over, no need to mend any bridges that we'd burnt by trying to cut them out in the negotiations beforehand. And in fact, on that deal, we ended up getting the deal for less than the original price we'd agreed. So it's really important to keep these guys on side. So there's some good things and some bad things with agents. And if you're getting frustrated with the response or lack of responses you're getting from agents, don't worry about it. Just keep working on it. Just keep going until you find some that are responsive and going to work with you. It's amazing when you have a good agent working with you, working on your behalf or working alongside you. You can get a lot done. They can be your inside person and they can really help build up your credibility and your knowledge of how the current market works. So I hope some of these tips have helped. As I say, it's always an important topic and I've been asked it a few times recently. And of the deals we've done, about a third of them involved an agent and they are an integral part of the commercial property market, just as the estate agents are to the residential market. So take your time to work out how these things work. It is a people business and as they say, people buy from people. And as less people say, people sell to people. So it's really important to build those relationships. It's important to stress, I am talking about the agent relationship from an investor point of view rather than a seller. Okay, as I've mentioned before, we rarely sell any of our properties to try and keep that tax take down and build our momentum. Selling property through agents is a different process. However, it's still fundamentally built on those relationships. So I've got a little bit of homework for you. First thing, return to your why. What are you wanting out of this activity? Why are you getting into commercial property? Just review that. Then secondly, clarify your deal criteria. What sort of deals are going to help you achieve those things that you want out of commercial property? Is it flipping and realising capital lump sums or is it cash flow? And if it is cash flow, how much time are you putting in? How much money are you putting in? And what do you want out of it? Then you need to translate those things into a good brief for an agent. And a good brief for an agent isn't, I want to make £10,000 a month. It will have to involve property and types of property and types of deal. The third thing is, 
reach out to at least two new agents over the next few days and start this process. So this is the homework for you. Return to your why, clarify your deal criteria and get out and talk to two agents. Just two, but they need to be new ones to you over the next few days and start the process. So I hope that's really helped. Enjoy your week, be productive and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Thanks for tuning in and listening to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. 